Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Again, it's, it's great to be back. I'm grateful for your, again, your patience with me. Um, but we're going to look at the scripture this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. As we get in, as we read this this morning, I'd like to invite you, if you're able, please stand as we read from God's Word. So Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you have chosen to revere yourself to us through it. And so now, Father, I pray that I would be neither seen nor heard, but that your word would be heard very clearly, that by your spirit that he would come and that he would give us insight and understanding, that we might know you through your word today, Lord, that we might know the great things that you have done for us through your son. Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would make your word come alive, that you would use it to transform us, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us hearts and minds to believe and obey. So Lord, now I pray that you would teach us, that you would mold us, that you would shape us into the image of Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. So, what is the gospel? And why does it matter? Does it really matter at all? What difference does the gospel make? Or does it make any difference? Is the gospel the message of the good news of salvation in Jesus? Is it just something that's for unbelievers? Or is it for somebody else? Is it true? And how do we know? These are all questions that the Apostle Paul deals with in this letter that he wrote to these churches. It's a, it's a letter written to a, group of play, to a group of churches in a place called Galatia, and it deals with these questions. He's writing this letter to combat false teaching, a false teaching that was devastating to the gospel. 
And it was prevalent in those churches. And it really deals with this very core issue. This whole letter deals with this very core issue of this question of are we saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Or are we saved by something else? This is a question of ultimate importance. And so it's a question we better be sure we get right. And so Paul here, in the beginning of this letter, he, he opens up in an interesting way. He, he starts in verses 1 and 2. He says, Paul, an apostle not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, when you write a letter back then, we tend to sign our letters at the end. They, tend to sign, they would sign their letters at the beginning so you would know who it was from. That's what Paul is doing here. But in, in, this, in this opening, in this salutation, he is doing a, a few very important things. He is establishing his authority. He's establishing his accuracy of his message regarding the gospel. And he is establishing his audience, who it is he's talking to. He does three things in this. He opens it up. First, he, he talks about his authority. He says that he is an apostle. It literally means a messenger, one who is sent with a message. Now, biblically speaking, this was a term that was reserved for a very select group of people. There were only 12. There were, um, there were the 11, plus Matthias, and then Paul. So I guess that's 13. And to be an apostle, there were certain qualifications you had to meet. One of the qualifications you had to meet as an apostle was to have seen the risen Christ. So you've actually had to interact with the risen Jesus to be an apostle. And so Paul here says that he is an apostle. And his apostleship is from God and not from men. This wasn't something he made up. It was not a, um, a, a, a title that he put on himself. We have a, um, it's, it's, it's interesting, we have a, um, a national worker in one of our mission fields that his, his, uh, his name is, um, is, his last name is Paul. Um, and he, he wants to be called the Apostle Paul. That's how he refers to himself. It's the Apostle Paul. But he's not an apostle in the same way that the, the, the Apostle Paul was. Um, he says, look, I'm an apostle. And the reason I'm an apostle is because God made me an apostle. He called me to be an apostle. Now, this is important because apparently as you read through the, the book of Galatians, that there are false teachers who are claiming apostleship for themselves and questioning Paul's authority and his apostleship. And Paul says, no, you got to understand, right off the bat, I am an apostle of God through Jesus Christ. That I've been called by God to deliver this message. He has received his commission. And Paul, quite uniquely and quite personally, from the risen Jesus, if you remember the experience he had, He's going, he's going to lock up Christians and throw them in jail. And he has this experience where he sees the risen Jesus come to him, knocks him off his horse, makes him blind, and calls him to serve as an apostle, to preach the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles. That's what he calls them to. And he, Paul says, this is me. My apostleship is not derived from any human source, but it comes directly from God. And it's especially important here in Galatians because there are false teachers that are questioning Paul's credentials. 
questioning Paul's teaching. And so he uses this very strong language in order to contrast that himself with the false teachers. In, in effect saying, I am a true apostle, they are false apostles. I am a true teacher of the true gospel, they are false teachers. And he does that by appealing directly to the one who called him as an apostle, and that was God, through Jesus Christ. Now the reason this is so important is because it affects the accuracy of what he said. If Paul were not an apostle of Jesus, then people could go, eh, alright, that's your opinion, Paul. can believe you, not believe you, I like it, I don't like it. It's just your opinion, Paul. It's what you think. But it's different if he's an apostle of God through Jesus Christ. It's different because if he is an apostle of God through Jesus Christ, then what he is speaking, what he is delivering, the message, the teaching is not his own. But it is the message and it is the teaching of God. It's the very words of God. That is what an apostle would deliver. The foundation that built the church were the apostles and the prophets on this message of who Jesus was and what God did for us through Jesus Christ. And so Paul spoke Christ's message on Christ's authority because it was Jesus who had commissioned him to this end. He wasn't just speaking his words. He was speaking God's words. This is important for us to remember even today because Paul is quite unpopular. People like Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus, right? They say they do anyway. And, but Paul they don't like so much. They don't like what, you know, he gets called um, uh, a misogynist. You know, he hates women. He gets called a homophobe. He gets called um, a sadist because he's so tough. He gets called all these different things. People don't like the Apostle Paul. Now, whether you like what he says or not, you've got to decide something. Is what he's saying a matter of his personal opinion or is he delivering the truth of God? You see, Paul says he's delivering the truth of God because he is an apostle. On the authority of God, he is delivering the message of God. And this is very important in the case of the, the Galatians here because if, if truly Paul is saying and delivering the message of God, then we are obligated to accept it as true and believe it and obey it. He's just speaking his own opinion. Yeah, do whatever you want. But if these are the words of God, the message of God, the message of the gospel then that's a completely different story. And then he, he talks about who he's writing to. He says that he is writing to the churches of Galatia. Now, Galatia is in what is modern-day Turkey. I'm not exactly sure where these, these churches would have been, but they were somewhere in modern-day Turkey. And, of course, Turkey sort of sits off to Eastern Europe. I guess it's technically part of Europe, um, but it's kind of getting over towards the Middle East a little bit and getting over towards Asia. And... Um, and so it's somewhere in there. We don't know where exactly. But one of the things that's really interesting about this letter is what it doesn't say. The salutation, what is not here, is really important. Because what this lacks is, if you read all Paul, and Paul wrote 13 books in the New Testament, so we have a, a pretty good sample size of his letters and how he wrote. And what we see is, is that Galatians, unlike all of his other letters, it lacks a customary greeting and commendation. Like all the other churches, he, he says good things about them. He thanks God for them. He tells them 
good thing. He mentions good things that they have done and that God has done in them and through them. Even a church that was as messed up as Corinth, he did that. But here, there's, there's none of that. Here, the Apostle Paul is terse, is brief, is impersonal. In fact, I would encourage you as you read the book of Galatians, read it like you're mad. Because that's how Paul wrote it. He was mad. It's harsh. It's intended to be that way. It's a parent angry with a child and disappointed. It is the only epistle that Paul wrote where he did not commend his readers. He didn't say good things about them at all. Well, really, and particularly here at the beginning. And this obvious omission reflects how urgent he felt about this. The book of Galatians is interesting for another, for another reason. is It is considered by most scholars to be the earliest New Testament book. And it is certainly Paul's earliest letter. And somewhere around A.D. 49... And uh, kind of another unique thing about this, this letter, if you read it and you go to the end, Paul says something kind of interesting here. If you go to chapter 6, verse 11, you don't have to read it unless you just want to. He says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Paul personally wrote this letter. All his other letters he dictated. But the urgency was so great in his mind with what was happening at Galatia that he had to write it down quickly and get it to them as quickly as he possibly could. He was upset about what they were facing. And he, what he was upset about is he was writing to counter the false teachers, people called Judaizers, that were attacking what is a, a central tenet of the Christian faith, and that is justification or salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. These were people who were, who were teaching that if you were a Gentile, you had to be circumcised and follow all the Mosaic law and believe in Jesus. and you could be, That's what it took to be saved. If you weren't circumcised, if you weren't following the Mosaic law, it didn't matter if you were baptized. It didn't matter if you had confessed Christ and believed in Him and trusted in Him. You were not going to be saved. That's what this group of people was teaching. And so the Apostle Paul felt an urgency because this had become so pervasive and so prevalent in the Galatian churches that he was, was wanting to, to counter that almost immediately. Now even in this, this, this brief salutation at the beginning, it, there's some lessons for here, for us. Is that number one, we need to be careful and discerning about who we listen to. The Galatians got in trouble because they, be, they ignored Paul, the apostle of God, and were listening to false teachers who were not apostles, who were not faithful to the word and the truth of God. And look, let's face it, we live in a, in a world today where well, everyone's always had an opinion, but now everybody can express their opinion. Right? They're on the internet, there are more than 160 million blogs on the internet. Right? Everybody's got an opinion about something. And lots of people got opinions about a lot of things. But here's the thing. Not everybody's opinion is worth having. Right? It's just the, the reality. And so as followers of Jesus, if we're going to be faithful, if we're going to cling to the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word, then we have to cling to the teaching that the apostles and the prophets as found in Scripture. The apostles and the prophets. And those who are faithful to those teachings. We have to look at God's Word and we have to say, look, 
whether I like it, whether I don't like it, if this is truly the Word of God, then I have to believe it. I have to accept it. This is not a buffet where we get to pick and choose the parts we like. If it is the Word of God, then it is final. If it's not the Word of God, do whatever you want to with it. But the Apostle Paul says, I am an apostle speaking God's Word. And then he goes on to declare. He makes a declaration of the gospel in verses 3 through 5. It says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul begins with a, a theme that is so prevalent in his writings. That's the theme of grace. We talked a little bit about grace this morning in Sunday school. It's a word sometimes we throw around. It's a church, just kind of a churchy word that we throw around a lot. But I want to just give you sort of a, a simple definition of it that might be helpful for us to understand it. It's, it's obviously deeper than this, but grace is an undeserved act of kindness. It, is, it means we get unmerited favor. Grace means we get what we don't deserve. Sometimes we interchange the, the concepts of mercy and grace and because they're so closely related. But if you think of it this way, mercy is when we don't get what we deserve and grace is when we get what we don't deserve. Right? You think John 3.16 is a great example of that. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. That's mercy. We don't perish. But what do we get? We gain eternal life. That's grace. So Paul here talks about grace. And he's referring to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It's especially striking in this letter because he is dealing with a false teaching that mitigates and even removes grace from the equation of salvation. And it is a... It is a a theme that is prevalent through all Paul's writings, the book of Romans, which we're studying this morning, you see grace through Romans. In fact, you see grace through everything that Paul writes. He is referred to often as the, the apostle of grace because it is such a, an, an overarching theme in all of his writings. And so he speaks about grace here. And the first thing, he speaks about grace in the cause of the gospel. He says that, it is because we are saved according to the will of our God and Father. You see, the sacrifice of Jesus for our salvation was God's plan. It was God's design for His glory. It wasn't God going, wow, this is really messed up. How am I going to fix this? No, it was God from before creation knowing how He was going to do it, His plan to come and to save us. Paul says here, look, the act of Jesus rescuing us, this was not man's doing. Man didn't say, we're in this bad fix. How are we going to work this out? How are we going to get our salvation? Now, this was God's plan. This was His will. And the rescue, Jesus going to the cross, Jesus dying for us, that was because that was God's intention. That was His will. That was His purpose, Paul says. And that's pure grace. Do we deserve that? Absolutely not. But God in His grace did it for us. This idea of grace goes to the heart of salvation. 
This idea that no matter how hard we work, no matter how hard we try, no matter how good we try to be, we cannot save ourselves. That the heart of salvation is grace, that we cannot earn what Jesus has procured for us. Salvation is given as a free gift, and that is the only way to get it. That's what the Apostle Paul gets at, and that's the heart of this whole letter. And then he says there's not only grace in the cause of the gospel, there's grace in the action of the gospel. And he goes even more and he points to, to the, the place where he says that Jesus gave himself for our sins. Jesus died. He died in our place so that we didn't have to. The substitutionary death of Jesus, Jesus dying for me, Jesus dying for you, Jesus dying for all who would believe, is the heart of the gospel. He died because I was supposed to die because of my sin. He died because of my sin. We can't avoid sin by being good. By our human effort, by keeping the laws. No matter how hard we try, we are always going to fall woefully short of salvation. But in Christ, Jesus kept the law perfectly. And He kept it perfectly for us. And He went. And, and on the cross, this really cool thing happened. That there was an exchange that took place. If you look at 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For He made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And so what, what happened there on the cross was this great exchange where Jesus took all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our punishment on Himself. And then we in turn received His righteousness and His blessing. And eternal life. Jesus was our substitute. The death of Jesus on the cross was not primarily a display of love. It was not an, primarily an act of heroism. But it was a sacrifice for sin. Our sin had to be dealt with. There was a price, a penalty that had to be paid. And Jesus paid it. And He paid it for us. And so Paul here is bringing this early to the attention of the Galatian Christians and saying, you guys need to understand this. When you are trying to rely on good works to save you, you are ignoring the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. You are ignoring Jesus and you are trampling Him under your feet when you are trying to be good yourself. That will not save you. You're doing a disservice to Jesus. You see, we can have our theology correct. We can all say, yeah, 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 I get it. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And then still go, live in, go on living our lives like our good works are going to save us. Our works are important. I don't want to deny that. But when it comes to our salvation, they really don't factor in. The Galatians were falling back. They had been told by these people, it's Jesus... Faith in Jesus, yeah, you've got to have that. But it's also doing all this other stuff. That's what saves you. So if you're missing either faith in Jesus or all this other stuff, you're lost. That's what the false teachers were saying. And Paul's saying no. Since Jesus, that's, who, that's what saves you. Faith in Him. Trust in Him. And so he, he sets here in juxtaposition the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ and a gospel of works. The two are incompatible. The two are completely contrary to one another. So there's, gospel, there's grace in the, in the action of the gospel and Jesus giving Himself for us. But there's ultimately, finally, grace in the outcome of the gospel. 
He says that there is peace that comes from the gospel. It is peace that we get, we who were enemies of God, we were separated from God, Scripture says. And we now, because of Jesus Christ and through Him, have peace with God. But not just peace with God, we can now have peace with one another. Disparate people can get together. People that hate each other can get together and become brothers and sisters and live with one another in harmony. Paul talks about it in his letter to, to the Ephesians. He talks about that, how, how, how through Christ the wall that separated Jew and Gentile was torn down. And so these people who, who hated each other were suddenly united in Christ. So the gospel make, gives us peace with others, but it also gives us ultimately peace within ourselves in a way that nothing else can. So peace with God, peace with others, peace with ourselves. And He delivers us, that the gospel delivers us. He says He delivers us from the present evil age. Now this is not referring to a period of time, but a system. The world system, the system of Satan and his, of his angels and his demons and his workings and his thoughts and his ideas. Paul says that, that Jesus has delivered us. The word he uses here means to pluck out, to rescue. To, and that's what Jesus did. Jesus rescued us. It's, a lot of times we get this idea that the gospel is something like this. And you may have even heard this illustration before. I'll tell you why I think it's a bad one. You might, you might have heard this illustration that we were flailing in the water about to drown and somebody throws us the lifesaver of Jesus and pulls us back in. I don't know if you've ever heard that or not. But that is not the gospel. The gospel is not we're flailing around about to drown. Somebody throws us Jesus and pulls us back in. The gospel is we were drowned dead on the bottom of the, of the lake. The lifeguard jumps down, drags us to the top, does CPR, and brings us back to life. That's the gospel. Right? We don't have any energy, any effort. According, again, to the Apostle Paul, we're dead. That's, that's our natural spiritual state. And so it is a miracle when someone comes to faith in Christ because a dead person has come to life. That's the gospel. That's the message of the gospel here. And every other system of religion in the world bases our acceptance, our approval, our life in God on what we do. Except Christianity. The gospel is different. The gospel says, no, it is a free gift of grace through faith. That is how we're saved. That's what the Apostle Paul is getting at here. And ultimately, it will bring, he says, glory to God. Forever and ever. The gospel is good news. It is news to be proclaimed. It is not commands to be obeyed. It is good news not of what we are supposed to do, but it is good news about what Jesus has done. That's the gospel. And we need to remember that. And because it is a gospel of grace, through faith alone and Christ alone, it is a work of God, holy and completely from beginning to end. And when we realize that and we proclaim that, then it brings God glory. Because it is not about us. We are simply poor sinners who got this incredible gift. That's what God gave us. And so one of the things we need to remember as believers, for those who have accepted the gospel, is the gospel is not just for unbelievers. The gospel is not just intended to bring us to salvation although it's certainly intended for that. 
But that's not the end of it. The gospel is something that you and I, as followers of Jesus, need to go back to every single day and be reminded every single day of the grace and the mercy and the blessing that we have received in Christ that we did not deserve, but that God gave us in His great love. We need to remember that. We need to cling daily to this fact because we're going to have days where we don't feel very Christian. We're going to have days where we feel defeated, where we feel smashed and like, I am worthless and I am no good and I can't do anything right. And on those days, as followers of Jesus, we've got to go back and we've got to say, that may all be true, but that's not what I'm relying on for my salvation. I'm relying on the one who was perfect and was always perfect and will always be perfect, and that's Jesus. We get to heaven because of Him, not because of us. And so we need to constantly go back and remind ourselves what He's done for us. And then in verses 6 through 9, the Apostle Paul gets to the distortion of the gospel. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He, Paul uses an interesting phrase here when he's talking about the, the Galatians. First off, he, he says that he is amazed. He is astonished. He marvels. Now, if you think about the Apostle Paul and all the stuff he's seen, I would think it would take a lot to impress him, to astonish him, to amaze him. And he is astonished and amazed that these Galatians have so quickly, so easily turned away from the gospel that he preached to them. Now, this happened somewhere in a, in a time span between a year and three years at the most. And so he is just stunned. How could you do this? And he uses a really interesting phrase here when he talks about it, that he, he's, this turning, it's this idea of, of a, a deserter in the military, a turncoat, a Benedict Arnold. He says, how, it, it blows my mind, the Apostle Paul says, how you could go from the gospel of grace that I taught you to following this false gospel, this gospel of the Judaizers of works, of legalism, how could you do that? Because when we embrace legalism, the Apostle Paul says, we reject the gospel and we reject God. It's not that the Judaizers were, that they were pursuing some sort of valid expression of Christianity and they were just wrong on some secondary doctrinal points. Now what they were wrong on was the heart of the gospel. They weren't Christians with different opinions. They weren't Christian at all in their theology. It, think of it this way. The, just to give you an analogy that might make sense to us, the Apostle Paul, what he's talking about here. Imagine in World War II if an American soldier went and started fighting for the Nazis or the Japanese. That's the idea. Paul is, that's what he's calling the Galatians here. You guys are deserters. You're traitors. You're turncoats. And your traitors and your turncoats, not on some secondary thing that we can agree to disagree on. No, what you are turning to is not the gospel at all. 
Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that justification by faith alone is the article upon which this church stands or falls. It is key, it is core, it is elemental. Without it, there is no gospel. And Paul says, you guys, you've missed it. You Galatians, you foolish Galatians, which he calls them later, you foolish Galatians, you've walked away from the true gospel, the, God, the only gospel that can save you. You are turning from it. When you're embracing this legalism. And then he goes on to talk about these distorters. Those, he says, who are these probably Jewish Judaizers, probably from Jerusalem, who came in and they said, look, Jesus is good. Yeah, yeah, we've got to believe in Jesus, but we also got to keep the law. Got to be circumcised, got to keep the law, got to do all these good things. And Paul says, these people are coming in and they have come in and they have disturbed you. They have agitated you. They have, sh they have shaken you up. They have troubled you. They have been, these congregations have been, have been thrown into a state of confusion. And the thing that did it was, again, that they were teaching adherence to the requirements, ceremonies, and standards of the Old Covenant. They said, if you don't do those things, you can't be saved. In other words, what they were saying is, okay, you're saved by grace in faith alone in Christ alone, but you have to finish it. So Jesus saves you, but then you've got to finish it. That's essentially what they were saying. So Jesus is going to save you. He's going to get you, he's going to get you right. He's going to get you back to, to, to a good starting point, but then you've got to carry it out to the end. That's what they were essentially teaching people. And so they had changed the gospel of grace suddenly to a gospel of works. And a gospel of works is not good news at all. And that's what Paul says. He says, look, he says, you've turned to another gospel. What's well, not really even another gospel? There's nothing good about working for your salvation. Because we're all going to figure out if we're working for our salvation, it ain't going to work. Right? We're going to fall. We're going to fail. We're not going to be able to do it. Paul's saying these men, when they tampered with the gospel, they troubled the church. He even goes so far as to say, look, he says, if an angel shows up, an angel, now if an angel showed up right now, I would probably pay attention. Right? I'm probably going to go, yeah, let's see what he's got to say. But Paul says, look, even if an angel shows up and he tells you something different than what I told you initially about the gospel of grace, ignore him. He, then he says, look, if I come back later and I tell you something different than what I told you initially about the gospel of grace, about salvation alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, ignore me. Because what I'm teaching you is, at that point is not true. And he pronounces here, and this is very harsh, but he says this in verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. The word he uses there is the word anathema, and it means to devote someone to destruction and hell. Literally, Paul is saying, if I, if an angel, if anyone else comes and tells you a gospel that is different than the gospel of grace, let them be damned. That's how serious the Apostle Paul takes this. And so he pronounces this curse, this final judgment. And so we have got to remember to cling to the gospel, this message 
of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If the gospel that Paul preaches is true, then the glory of Jesus Christ and the salvation of men are at stake. If what the Judaizers preach is true, if we can be saved by our good works, then Jesus died in vain. If we can somehow work and save ourselves by keeping the law or doing good stuff or being good people, then Jesus didn't have to die. The Apostle Paul says Jesus did have to die because we can't save ourselves. In fact, that's what Jesus said. If Jesus didn't have to die, the cross is emptied of its meaning. If men are taught a false gospel of salvation by works, then they will be led away from the one thing that can save them, and that is the gospel of grace. So this morning, I just want to ask you two questions. Number one, who are you listening to? Because there are a lot of people teaching a lot of things today. You know, there's, there's one guy, um, I will refrain from using names, but he's got a really, really big church in, in Houston. He's, millions of people watch him on TV every week. He refuses to talk about sin. He refuses to talk about the cross. He refuses to talk about the gospel. And he has the largest church in America. And a lot of people listen to him. And a lot of people believe him. And there are a lot of other people like him. Who are you listening to? Are you listening to the apostles and the prophets? Are you listening to the words of Jesus? Are you listening to somebody else who's teaching you something wrong? And what are you trusting in? We often have good theology embracing salvation as a free gift. We give lip service to that. Unfortunately, the way we approach it is, is that I'm so glad Jesus has saved me by no merit of my own. Now I've got to do my part. Now I've got to do my part and see it through to the end. You know, we have these days when we, we don't read our Bibles like we, we're supposed to. We don't pray we're, we're mean to our kids. We don't get along with our spouse. We kick our dog. We're rude to people at work. You know, and I think on those days, a lot of times we feel like, man, God probably doesn't love me very much right now. But the fact is, God loves you just as much like that as He does if you didn't do all those bad things. That's the gospel. That's grace. That's what we're saved by. The gospel is not do better, try harder, be good, and God will love you more. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that you and I have already been loved infinitely by Jesus Christ. And He has done everything that is necessary to earn our salvation before a holy God. And all we have to do is surrender ourselves and trust in His finished work on the cross. And that's the gospel. The gospel is not good news about what we need to do. The gospel is good news about what Jesus has already done. That's the gospel. So remember this. If you remember nothing else I say today, remember this. That faith in Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. But faith in Jesus plus anything equals damnation. Don't forget that. Oftentimes, I've, I've been with folks typically people who are nearing the end of their life and, and they'll say something like this they'll say I hope I'm ready 
I hope I've done enough. I don't know if you've ever been around anybody who said that towards the end of their life or not. But it's a sad thing because there's, there's everything, and I've never done it, but there's everything inside of me that just wants to well up and yell at them. Then you are hopeless. Then you are lost. Because we can never do enough. If you are trying to do enough to be saved, it ain't going to work. If we're relying on what we've done, it's not going to save us. In the end, the only thing that can save us is not what we do, but what Jesus has done. That's what saves us. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel of grace. Lord, we praise you and, and we are in awe of your goodness and your great love. The fact that you have loved us so deeply, so richly, so infinitely in Jesus. That while we were yet sinners, while we were yet your enemies, Jesus died for us. And that because of his perfect sacrifice in our place, Lord, that we can have salvation and eternal life. It is not by our own merit. It is not because of our value, because we are good people, Lord, but because we are people for whom Jesus died. And so, Lord, we praise You and we thank You for that. And that, Lord, even when we come to faith in Christ, it is not we who keep ourselves, but it is Jesus and His righteousness that keeps us forever. And so, Lord, help us to hear that truth. Help us to understand that truth. Lord, if we are trusting in anything other than the righteousness of Jesus, other, anything other than His sacrifice on our behalf, Lord, if we're trying to be good enough, if we're trying to work harder and do better so You'll love us more, Lord, rebuke us for that. And help us to center ourselves and focus on the good news of the gospel, of how much You have loved us through Jesus, and that we are saved not because of what we do, but because of what He has done. Lord, we, may we cling to that for the rest of our lives that we might know that we are right with You because of Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 